Good morning again. Our sermon text for this morning uh, comes from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, verses 32 uh, through chapter 5, verse 11. And uh, if you uh, are visiting with us, you don't know, but we have been working through the book of Acts for a number of weeks, and we've made it up to Acts, the end of Acts chapter 4 this morning. Uh, Before we read that together, uh, will you please pray with me? Let's pray together. Our Father, we we long to hear uh, your voice. We long to hear from you. We long to uh, hear of your grace in the gospel. Yet we know that our hearts are often hard and our ears are often closed. So we need your Holy Spirit to work inside of us, uh, to soften our hearts, to open our ears, uh, to enlighten our minds, to enable us uh, to not only hear your word, but to understand it, not only understand it, but believe it, not only believe it, but to have it sink deeply into our hearts and uh, transform us and change us into the image of your son, Jesus. Father, we pray that you would meet with us this morning to that end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But... A man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, brought only a part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. The church may not look like much. 
Uh, from the outside, it sometimes to people looks like a, a group of silly people believing silly things, going through silly rituals. Some people think that the church is only for perfect people, only for really good people. People in the church, of course, are a mess like everybody else, and so that's a mistake. Uh, but that's often the view people have of the church. Oh, that's for the good people. Even within the church, often we don't get what church is all about. Uh, some Christians think the church is just not important. Uh, we tend to devalue the church. We fail to see how it fits into God's big plan. Maybe we emphasize the individual aspects of salvation rather than corporate. Salvation is, is just about me and Jesus. But the church is the community of God. It's the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the people that have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And the church as a community is what Luke puts on display in our text this morning. So we're going to look at four aspects of this community as we find it in the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to look at the church as God's community, the church characterized by generosity, uh, the church as indwelt by the Spirit, and the church as motivated by grace. So if you turn to the back of your bulletin, you can find that outline there if you want to follow along uh, with us. Uh, God's community characterized by generosity, indwelt by the Spirit, and motivated by grace. Well, Luke starts our text this morning uh, with another summary. He's done this, uh, he has done this at least once in Acts already. He'll do this a couple times where he kind of summarizes what's going on in the life of the church. You find that in verses 32 and 33. And there we see, uh, Luke tells us that the church is, is characterized by generosity, according to verse 32. And uh, in verse 33, the apostles' teaching. And he has uh, dealt with the apostles' teaching throughout the book of Acts Already and will continue to do so. And uh, the heart of that is that Jesus was rejected by men, uh, but raised up from the dead by God the Father, demonstrating that he is both Lord and Messiah. And the apostles are eyewitnesses to that resurrection. And they continually announce again and again that all who turn to Jesus as Lord receive both the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. But in our text this morning, uh, Luke doesn't spell out the apostles' teaching, but he spells out the church's generosity. And he gives us both a, a positive example of that, but also a, a negative example as well. And uh, so he, he, he carefully explains, verses 34 and 35, uh, how the church cares for the needy in its midst. Um, that, that the wealthier members would sell land or houses, bring money from the sale, lay it at the apostles' feet as a kind of devotion to, to Jesus, and the apostles would then distribute those funds to the, those who were needy in the church. And uh, he, he, Luke even gives a one particular example of that in verses 36 and 37, the example of Barnabas. Barnabas does just that. He sells a field, brings it to the apostles, lays it at their feet so that they can then distribute the funds to people as they have need. But as you read through, right, you get to chapter 5 and you find that all was not well in the church. Uh, there was a husband and wife named Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, they sell a piece of property. They bring the funds. They lay it at the apostles' feet. But they lie. 
Uh, they say they are bringing the wholesale price for this piece of property, when in reality they're only bringing a part. And it is that lie that becomes kind of the crux of the issue in uh, the early part of chapter 5, and Ananias and Sapphira end up dead by the end of the story. What are we to gather from this strange story? Well, here is actually Luke's main point. It may not be the one you would expect, but Luke's main point, and our first point, is that the church is God's community. Uh, It's God's community in continuity with Israel of the Old uh, Testament, uh, in fulfillment of God's promises of the Old Testament. The church is God's community. You know, when you come to any passage of Scripture, you you ask that passage certain questions, right? Uh, Why is this passage here? Uh, Why these words? Why this place? And our text this morning is situated roughly between two conflicts. Both of those conflicts are with the religious leaders of Israel. Peter and John, you may remember, uh, were arrested back in Acts chapter 4. They were jailed, they were threatened, and eventually released. Well, they will be arrested again in Acts chapter 5. This time they will be beaten and released once more. Now remember, these are Jewish people uh, who read their Jewish Bible and who believe in a Jewish Messiah. But in light of the persecution and the arrests and the threats, this Jewish church begins to take on an identity of its own. In fact, uh, the, the church is called the church for the first time here in Acts chapter 5, verse 11. You see in uh, chapter 5, verse 11, that we're told, And great fear came upon the whole church. Well, that's the first use of the word church in the book of Acts. But in taking on this identity of its own, that, that brings up a few questions. Uh, is the church something other than God's people of old? Uh, is the church in contrast to Israel? I mean, Israel's leaders are persecuting the church, right? So does that mean that the church is some other thing? Um, has God abandoned Israel and begun anew as some Christians talk about it? Uh, or has, has the church replaced Israel in God's plan? I mean, how, how are we to understand this community? And Luke's answer, actually, is no. Uh, The church has not replaced Israel. Uh, The church's identity is the people of God in continuity with Israel of old. And there are a couple of keys in the passage that highlight this. Uh, Verse 34 in chapter 4 tells us that in light of how the church was caring for its own, uh, there were no needy persons among them. And uh, this is actually a quote from Deuteronomy 15, verse 4, which was read earlier for us. Uh, There God is instructing his people on how uh, to care for those in debt. And God says in that place, but there will be no uh, poor among you. And so the, the, the care for the poor by the community, according to Deuteronomy, would be a sign of God's blessing on that community. Well, Luke highlights this blessing to show the continuity between the Old Covenant people and the New Covenant people. Uh, As God redeemed Israel from slavery in Egypt and established them in the land, so God has redeemed us from slavery to sin. And here in Acts, He's establishing His people. And the result is the same in both places. The poor were cared for. There was no needy, no poor person among them. In fact, even the sin of Ananias and Sapphira is an echo of Israel's story. 
in a number of places, but Ananias and Sapphira are said to test the spirit, according to chapter 5, verse 9. Well, uh, Israel was said to test the Lord in the wilderness in Deuteronomy, again, Deuteronomy chapter 6. When Israel first comes into the land, you may remember uh, in the book of Joshua, the walls of Jericho fall down. We know that story. It's in children's books, right? They march around the city with trumpets, and uh, at the seventh uh, trumpet blast, the, there's a great shout, the walls fall down. Well, God had commanded Israel in that place to devote everything in the city to him. Uh, they, were, they were not to keep any of it for themselves, but to burn it by fire as a kind of offering to God. Everything in Jericho was to be offered up to God. But, you may remember, the story goes on, a man named Achan kept back some of the devoted things for himself. And uh, it's actually the same language used here about Ananias and Sapphira, keeping back some of the cost of the field. And in the, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's the same Greek word. Uh, the, the point is not that Ananias and Sapphira had to give their money to the church, uh, Peter says so in, in verse 4, right? He, he says the field was theirs to do with as they pleased. Once it was sold, the money was theirs to do with as they pleased. But by being deceptive, by saying here's the whole price for the property, they were devoting that money to God. But then when they kept some of that back, right, they, they were keeping back some of the devoted things, just like Achan. Some of the things that had been pledged to God were kept back from him. Well, and at the end of the passage, Ananias and Sapphira are judged. They, they die for their sin. And we're told twice, verse 5 and verse 11, uh, that great fear came upon all who heard. Great fear came upon the church. And again, this is an echo of Deuteronomy. We read it earlier, which says that when people are judged for sin, the whole community will hear and fear and never do such a thing again. See, Luke is making multiple explicit connections between uh, the church on the one hand and the community of Israel on the other. In fact, even the word church itself, which uh, we tend to think of the word church as a word that draws a distinction, right, between Israel uh, and the New Testament community. We think, well, Israel is called Israel, the New Testament we're called the church, that's a distinction. But actually, that's not the case. That's a, that's, that's a mistake that we make. The Greek translation of, of Deuteronomy uses the word ekklesia, which is the Greek word for church or assembly, multiple times. So chapter 4, verse 10, and 9, verse 10, uh, in Deuteronomy, are talking about Israel uh, at Mount Sinai, and uh, it calls that the day of the ecclesia, the day of the church, the day of the assembly. Uh, Deuteronomy 23 has elaborate rules and mentions multiple times, elaborate rules about who may and who may not enter the ecclesia of the Lord or the church of the Lord. Uh, even Deuteronomy 31.10 talks about the ecclesia of Israel, the church of of Israel. And so when Luke uses the word church, the point is not to distinguish the New Testament people of God from the Old Testament. The point is actually to draw a line of continuity. Here is the assembly. Here is the ecclesia. Here is the church. The church is Israel come into its own, uh, the true covenant community, the true people of God. You know, often uh, times people talk about the church as somehow replacing Israel, uh, but that's actually not right either. That's not what I'm suggesting. The church does not replace Israel any more than I replaced my teenage self. Right? I, I didn't replace my teenage 
self, right? I may be different, hopefully, in some important ways, uh, but it's still me, right? I'm not an android body double or an alien look-alike, right? I'm me, uh, hopefully wiser and more mature, but uh, nevertheless, the same person. Here in Acts, the church is made up of Jewish people, right? Israelites reading Israel's Bible, following Israel's Messiah. They, they may be a faithful remnant of Israel, but they are no less Israel. The church is the Old Testament people of God coming to its own as the people of the Messiah. And this is important here in Acts, again, because of the context. The story is sandwiched between these persecutions by who? By Israel's leaders. And the question is, who is the true Israel? Who really has a right to all of the promises in the scriptures? Who really has a right to claim the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible as their own? Are the religious leaders God's true Israel persecuting the church? Luke's answer is no. Those who follow Israel's Messiah are the ecclesia of the Lord, the church of Israel. So here is Luke's main point, that the church is God's community. He shows this in a number of different ways. It's God's community in continuity with Israel of old, in fulfillment of God's promises in Deuteronomy. The church is God's community. Second point, uh, the church is characterized by generosity. How does God care for his people? How does he care for his people here in Acts? He cares for them through the ministry of his people. Uh, it, the same was true in Deuteronomy. We read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 15. We're told that if anyone became poor, God's people uh, were to lend interest free to anyone who had need. And uh, every seven years, whatever debt remained was, was to be forgiven. Uh, behind that seven-year release, by the way, of course, is God's release of his people from slavery. He released his people uh, from their heavy burden by bringing them out of Egypt And his people then were to release one another every seven years in the same way. And and in this way, there would be no poor among them. Not because there would never be a poor person. If you read through Deuteronomy, uh, was that 15, you actually notice at one point it says, there will be no poor people among you. And at another point it says, and there will always be poor people among you. And you wonder like, okay, um, Moses didn't edit this very well, right? He's contradicting himself. No, the point is, yes, there are poor people, but as the, as the community cares for those people, right, they would not remain in that poor condition, right? So there will always be people who need help, but if the community is caring for them well, right, they won't be left in that destitute state. They will be provided for. Well, we find this in the book of Acts as well. In the, this New Testament community, uh, the believers, as they saw someone in need, they would bring money to the apostles who would then distribute it to those in need. Specifically, interestingly, they, they were laying the money at the apostles' feet. And uh, that's repeated three times. So, you know, it makes me wonder, okay, what, what does that mean? Why the apostles' feet? Uh, and, and the best I can figure, uh, the idea is something like this. The apostles, who were directly appointed by Jesus as his representatives uh, on earth, um, their, their feet represent Jesus' feet in some tangible way. Um, and the early church laying, was laying their riches symbolically at the feet of Jesus. Uh, th- this, you'll be happy to know, does not transfer over to elders. Uh, you don't have to lay your riches at my feet. Uh, elders have a slightly different relationship to Jesus than the apostles did, uh, but we can go into that another time, another place. Um, as we think about this, right, this extravagant generosity, there are a couple things, though, we need to keep in mind. 
uh, and it was extravagant, but we need to realize first that people didn't sell everything. Uh, people, people didn't sell, they weren't selling everything they owned and giving it to the apostles. That's not what was going on. Uh, how do we know that? Well, for one, the early church met house to house. How did they do that if everyone sold their houses? They must have met somewhere, right? They were meeting in someone's houses, someone who didn't sell their house. People, were, people who were able sold extra property to care for others in need. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, he says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need. And that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Uh, see, the, the point is the people in the early church uh, who, whose work produced much would use their abundance to care for those whose work produced little. Right, so there was, okay, I, I have a lot, so I'm, I'm able to share some of that with you. Um, second thing to note is this is completely voluntary. Uh, you know, there's one Joseph, given the name Barnabas, the son of encouragement, maybe in part because of his generous behavior. He sells a field. He brings the money to the apostles. What makes it so generous? Well, uh, what makes it generous is that, in part, he didn't have to do it. He, he was willing to do it, uh, but he didn't have to do it. Second Corinthians, again, verse, chapter 9, verse 7, says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Paul's point there is, okay, you, you decide what to give. Uh, no one should compel you to that end. Uh, in fact, in part, the virtue is in the joy of the giving. God loves a cheerful giver. Um, Peter, again, said to Ananias, he had every right to keep his property and every right to keep the money once it was sold. And so, uh, on the one hand, people didn't sell everything. Right? This was people who had extra, who were able to sell some of that to help those in need. And, and when they did sell something, what they did give, give to the church was completely voluntary. And third, uh, yes, of course, this could be abused. Uh, in fact, at times in the early church, it was. Uh, in the church in Thessalonica, uh, some people had stopped working altogether. And uh, they, were just, they were just freeloading off of others in the church. And in 2 Thessalonians 3, we read this. Paul commands the believers to keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. And he says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Um, and so the point uh, of generosity and care in the church is not to enable lazy people to be lazy, uh, but to help the disadvantaged, those who are disadvantaged in their time of need. And so the call of Scripture is both on the one hand, right, uh, you need to work using whatever ability you have, right, don't freeload. Uh, but on the other hand, if you see someone in need, uh, even financial need, right, help them as you are able. But we, we shouldn't miss the point, right, in the midst of the qualifications, and those are important ones, that God's people cared for one another financially, generously, uh, with the result that there was no poor among them. And uh, they, they were willing to give of their abundance to supply what uh, others lacked. Now, 
you know, maybe uh, you don't have any land that you plan to sell and uh, give to the needy in the church. That's, that's fine, right? Um, we, we give out of our abundance, out of what the Father has given to us. If you have nothing to give, right, that's okay. Um, keep an eye open maybe for a moment when you have that opportunity. But, but uh, the truth of the matter is God has given each of us various kinds of gifts, uh, and uh, maybe you are financially well off and can give in that way, maybe not, but there are other gifts that God has given you, uh, other opportunities you have to serve uh, the church. Uh, you could be a, a listening ear to someone in trouble. Right? You could use your unique skills for someone who needs them. You could take a meal to a family who just had a baby. Uh, you can open your home to new people uh, at, the, at church, right? You could provide child care for a, a couple who just needs a night out. Uh, you, uh, God has given us, each of us, various gifts, various opportunities, uh, and, and we are to give out of the grace that God has given to us, right? So whatever that is, uh, sure, it may not be financial, but there are, there are many different ways to serve one another in the church. The early church gave of themselves generously, they didn't expect anything in return, right? They weren't trying to gain anything from it. They were just loving others as they had been loved, except when they weren't, uh, which brings us to our next point, and uh, point three, that the church is indwelt by the Spirit, and it brings us to, to Ananias and Sapphira. What is wrong with what Ananias and Sapphira did? We've already said it wasn't the holding back itself, uh, they had a right to do with their property what they wanted, both before and after it was sold. Uh, so what, what was wrong? Well, it's clear from the story that they lied to the community about the sale price. Uh, they were told they kept back some, brought only part, in verse 2. Uh, but verse 3, Peter accuses Ananias not simply of keeping back, but of lying about it. And then in verse 8, Peter asks Sapphira how much she sold the land for. And, and so it's clear the problem here is this lie. lie they, they both together lied about the sale price of the property. Why would they do that? Why lie about the sale of the land? I mean, think about, think about it this way. If, if I sell a piece of property and I bring a portion of that money that is large enough for you to think it's the wholesale price, that's pretty generous, even if it's not the wholesale price, right? I don't have to lie about it. I can say, yeah, this is, this is half of it, and that's still going to be a generous amount. But they lie about it. This is the whole price. Um, well, think, think back to Barnabas. Here is, here is Joseph called Barnabas, the son of encouragement. He sells a piece of land. He lays the proceeds at the apostles' feet. And if you're standing beside him in that moment, how does that make you feel? Well, we're sinful, right? So uh, maybe, maybe it makes you feel a little bit jealous about his notoriety. Uh, you know, wow, look at how people look up to Barnabas. I, I wish people would look up to me like that. Maybe it makes you feel a little self-conscious like if, if you don't do the same. Wow, Barnabas did what? Uh, I, I own some property outside the city. Uh, what will people think of me if I don't sell it and give it to the church? And, and, and so you begin to compare, right? And at that point, of course, the devil has you in his snare. Look at Peter's words in verse 3 of chapter 5. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And what, what did this lie show about Ananias and Sapphira? Maybe their jealousy of Barnabas and the praise that he received. Uh, maybe their fear of man and insecurity of, of, of not being that. Um, where, where does it lead? 
Well, I want you to notice, Barnabas, he devotes his riches to God. He lays them, lays them at the apostles' feet. It ends in building up the church. Uh, what Ananias and Sapphira are doing is not devoting their riches to God, right? but ultimately they're devoting God to themselves. Think about it. They're, they're taking this quintessentially religious act, the giving of an offering, laying their riches at the apostles' feet, and they're doing it for what purpose? They want people to see their generosity. They, they want to be known as generous. Jesus warned about this, didn't he? In, in Matthew chapter 6, you remember that? Uh, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Well, not only was their giving not in, in secret, right, but they, they exaggerated their religious deeds in order to impress people. Uh, they have devoted their religion to themselves rather than themselves to their God. Uh, their great end is their own reputation. Right? They want to be known. Uh, and let, let me ask you, right, have you ever exaggerated, even a little bit in, in the church, when you've been talking about your, your Bible reading, or your scripture memory, or your tithing, or your prayer life, or whatever? Um, now, I, I'm sure that you guys would never do that, but, but maybe, have you ever given someone the impression that your devotional life was a little better than it actually is? Maybe even without saying a word, um, I know I have, right? I mean, normally uh, it's without saying anything too, right? Someone assumes something about uh, my spiritual life, and of course I'm happy for them to assume that all day long, right? Maybe I even subtly nudge them toward that in some way. Um, you know, maybe I had a really good morning in the Word. It was like 45 minutes of solid prayer and meditation, and without saying so, I give the impression that that characterized the past 20 years of my life, not just the past 24 hours, um, what are we doing? Right? We're, we're using God to make a name for ourselves. We're subtly trying to get, let people know that we're a little better than we actually are. Of course, the main point here, I think, as we look at the Ananias and Sapphira story, is actually not about their sin. Uh, the, the main point is about the presence of the spirit of holiness in the church. And again, Luke is drawing these lines of continuity. This is the community of God's people where the, where the Holy Spirit dwells, right? This is the temple of God. Um, the church is indwelt by God's purifying presence. And so three times, Peter talks about the actions of Ananias and Sapphira. And, and what is so wrong is how their actions are related to the Holy Spirit. Uh, notice, he says they lied to the Holy Spirit in verse 3. They have not lied to men, but to God, he says in verse 4. And then in verse 9, he says they've tested the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, kind of as a side note, but an important one worth mentioning, this is a great passage about the personhood and the divinity of the Holy Spirit. Um, it, you know, lying to the Holy Spirit implies that he is a person. Uh, sometimes people think about the Holy Spirit as a force or a power or an energy, as an it, but you don't lie to an it. Right? You, you don't lie to an energy. You don't lie to a, to a battery, right? You, 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 you lie to someone in an attempt to mislead them. You lie to a person. 
You can't mislead a battery, right? You can mislead people. And, and so the Holy Spirit is not a mere power. He's not, a, he's not simply an energy. He is a person. Uh, not just a person, but a divine person, uh, because we're told that lying to the Holy Spirit means lying not to man, but to God. And so you have the, the personhood and the divinity of the Holy Spirit on display in these verses. It's really a, a great couple verses. And if you couple that, I, I won't read it, but if you go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 33... In that verse, you see all three persons of the Trinity distinguished from one another. Uh, the Son is exalted to the right hand of the Father. The Father uh, gave to the Son the gift of the Holy Spirit, whom the Son subsequently poured out on the church. Right? So you have all three persons in one verse interacting with one another. It, you take this uh, with this passage in Acts 5, and you have these, the clear distinction between the th- three persons of the Trinity you have a clear personhood and divinity of the Holy Spirit and taken together, right? This is a great argument uh, for the triunity of God. So as you're talking with people who may not believe this in, in a church, uh, Unitarians or something to that effect, uh, these are great passages to talk about and to say, well, what, what does this mean here about the Spirit? Or what does this mean here in Acts chapter 2? But here is the point uh, of what's going on. Like in the temple of old, this divine person of the Spirit dwells in the church. And, and while there's a lot more to say, uh, we must say at the very least, in light of Acts 5, 1 to 11, that God, being present in the church, takes sin seriously. Uh, his, his purifying presence is in our midst. God is in the midst of the camp, like with Israel in the wilderness. And while God is patient with us in our sin, uh, while God is gracious to forgive us as we confess our sins, uh, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, we read it earlier, uh, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now, let's admit the fact that we are uncomfortable with the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, we'd like to skip over this part of the story. Um, but the truth of the matter is that, that the things that make us uncomfortable in Scripture are probably the things that we need to pursue the most. Uh, because it's right there that God has something to say to us. The things that we're just like, oh yeah, I believe that, I believe that, okay, that's good, okay. All right, we're, we're, we may not learn as much from that passage, but it's those things that we're like, I'm really not very comfortable with that, right? Well, well that probably means God is trying to teach us something at that point. And like Nadab and Abihu, you may remember, who misused the temple and are struck dead in uh, the book of Leviticus, uh, Ananias and Sapphira are desecrating the temple of God by their lie. And God wanted to show, uh, wanted the church to know from the start that he was present in his temple and he takes sin seriously. Uh, yes, the gospel is about grace and forgiveness and mercy, uh, But we shouldn't think that that means that we can then pursue our own selfish ends without consequences. Uh, Paul says God will not be mocked. Uh, He stands ready to forgive, uh, but out of love for his church and his people, he stands ready to discipline his children as well as a father disciplines the son whom he loves. Uh, Normally, uh, it doesn't happen quite so dramatically as it does here in Acts chapter 5, verse 11, uh, or or Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11. But we we actually see this kind of thing quite often at the beginning of a new stage in the life of God's people in the Scriptures. So Nadab and Abihu, uh, after the 
first temple, tabernacle, was built. Achan and his family, as they're just entering into the land, and now here Ananias and Sapphira at the beginning of the life of this new stage in the life of the church. God wants to show his people that that deeper intimacy with him calls for deeper purity of heart. He wants us to pursue that. And that's true on an individual level. It's true on a corporate level as well. God cares about, uh, about the purity of his pe- people. He cares about your purity. He cares about our purity as a whole. Um, and so we, we, we pursue purity in the church, right, uh, uh, by confessing our sin together. For one, First uh, John 1, 9, right, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us, right? One of the reasons we confess is because God uses that in the life of his church to cleanse his people, uh, not only from the, the guilt and shame of sin, but from its power as well. Uh, we, we pursue purity through mutual accountability. You remember uh, Galatians 6.1, we studied Galatians a uh, I don't know, whenever that was, six months ago or something. Um, Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Right? So we, we, we pursue purity, uh, both by confessing our sins together. We pursue purity through mutual accountability. Uh, we pursue purity, when necessary, through church discipline. Matthew chapter 18 uh, talks us through the process of confronting sin and even removing someone from the church if necessary, removing an unrepentant person from the church. Uh, Of course, the goal there is not getting rid of all the bad people in church because if we're honest, that we would have an empty room. Uh, But what's the point? The point is disciplining those who are unrepentant in the hopes that they will return with a soft heart. Uh, This kind of discipline is not for struggling people. It's not for broken people. It's for stubborn, hard-hearted people. They're very different, right? Um, uh, Which brings us, of course, to something that we desperately need, which is the fourth point. Uh, The the church is a community motivated by grace. Um, It's true. Israel was characterized by this... Uh, the, the true Israel, the church, was characterized by voluntary care for one another, uh, by the indwelling, purifying presence of God. Uh, the, the only power, though, strong enough to engender this kind of community and maintain this kind of community is the gospel. Uh, you know, Ananias and Sapphira are motivated by what? They're motivated by their own gain, maybe. Uh, they're motivated by wealth, at least some. They, they keep some of the money back. Um, they're motivated by uh, reputation. They lie about it. Um, but self-interest cannot get you to build community, right? They, they hold back, they lie, they exaggerate, they, they do all kinds of things that actually break apart community rather than build it up uh, because their goal is not, in the end, doing good, but appearing to do good, right? That's their goal. You can, you can of course, legally enforce this kind of thing, uh, but that won't actually build this kind of community either. Um, you know, legally enforcing... Uh, shared finances actually disables generosity for the sake of care, right? I'm not being generous if you're taking money out of my pocket. That's not generosity. Um, you know, our, our system, right, right uh, capitalism allows for generosity, right? I have what I have and, and you can, um, uh, and I'm, I'm free to do with it as I please, but on its own, uh, it often leaves me with little motive for genuine care for those around me. Um, how, how do you motivate right, free, voluntary generosity 
that actually takes action and cares for those in need. Uh, only the grace of God can motivate us, right, to devote ourselves to him for the good of those around us. Uh, like, like the redemption from Egypt that, that motivated this seven-year release in Israel, our generosity must be motivated by and even shaped by our redemption in the cross. Ultimately, the, the way of community is the way of the cross. Ananias and Sapphira, they use their riches in an attempt to obtain a name for themselves, the way of the cross is, is, of course, always backwards in the world's eyes. Jesus, who was rich, for our sake became poor. Jesus, who had a glorious name in heaven, for our sake uh, received shame uh, uh, on the cross. And he gave sacrificially of himself, right? Why? To build us up. This is the way community always works, right? We need to let his love motivate and model the life uh, of community, the life in the church, and of course, remember Jesus, right, who, who pursued neither riches nor a name in this life, uh, actually received both in the resurrection. Uh, he received both the, the, all the riches of heaven and earth, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. That, that kind of counts as everything. And, and he received the name that is above every name. You know, we, we tend to use, uh, use the giver, use God to get the gift, Riches, a name, reputation, popularity, whatever it happens to be. And of course, in the end, we lose both. Um, but if we would only pursue the giver, pursue God, we get all things in him. And that's our hope, right? It's as we give of ourselves, as we pursue lowness, uh, that we receive the approval of our Father, well done, good and faithful servant, and the inheritance of heaven becomes ours. You know, Peter says in First Peter, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time he may exalt you. So look to the one who for our sake became poor that we might become rich, who received the shame that, that who received shame that we might stand righteous before our Father, and let his grace reshape you into his image for the good of his church and for the glory of his name. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we confess that we need you. We need your grace, we need your mercy, we need your spirit to purify our hearts by faith. So we pray that you would be at work in us uh, by your Spirit, applying the blood of Jesus to us. Uh, forgive us our sins, cleanse us from it, make us new people, enable us not to love the things of this world and pursue the things of this world, uh, but to pursue you and to use the things of this world for your glory and the good of your people in a way that brings honor and glory to Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.